The Mets' very first game played in franchise history. They lost to the Cardinals 11-4. Their most recent game played. They also lost to the Cardinals 11-4. The 9,461 other games in between, in the words of Elvis Costello, don't get me talking, I could talk all night. 60 years of Mets baseball, only two championships have been won, as you may be aware. And it now looks very much like that number will hold at two as we head towards the fall and the winter. So we will heed the words of not Elvis Costello, but Monty Python. When you're chewing on life's gristle, don't grumble. Give a whistle like Francisco Lindor against the Yankees as he's rounding second base. A fun Friday podcast for you is indeed straight ahead. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing While coffee is brewing now Here's Josh Lewin Scootily down 9,400-plus regular season Mets games. That is correct. And don't you wish there was one going on last night that we could talk about? Instead, it's a night off. No game on which to report on the podcast today as we get set for the Phillies coming in tonight. So we have to get a little bit inventive. Josh Lewin with you. We will have three chapters today. First, a walk down memory lane with the manager, Luis Rojas. And no no discussions quite yet on whether or not he'll be back. There are pros and cons to that argument. And just to touch on them, look, Met fans are annoyed that there wasn't an open-the-throttle approach these last couple weeks. Pitch your best relievers, stretch out the starters, damn the torpedoes, all of that. But is that all Luis Rojas, or are there other factors in play? Again, we'll table that. We want to talk to Luis about his journey towards becoming Mets manager, which, remember, only happened because Carlos Beltran never made it to opening day. But then Chapter 2 today, we'll get into his famous family tree and the Alus and tell you why his dad, Felipe, really should be in the Hall of Fame. And finally, Chapter 3, a very brief preview of the Phillies series that starts tonight with the Pete Alonso black T-shirt giveaway to the first 20,000 fans. Should we begin with our conversation with Luis Rojas? The goal here was to just get him talking about the steps up the ladder on his way to New York. So here you go, taped when the Mets were out west a few weeks back. So let's start with a little travelogue, if you don't mind, because for those that don't know, you were at Binghamton, Rumble Ponies got in to the playoffs, you did a nice job, but before that, uh, all the other places you were, Savannah, St. Lucie, Binghamton. I know that's not the French Riviera. None of those places are. But what did you take from from those cities? What did you like? Let me start with Savannah. Tell me about your time in Savannah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, every single city you just mentioned, I loved. Uh, and each one had, I thought, something special uh, that I can remember. And my family can remember, you know, the time in the minor league is precious. Uh, it builds you up as a coach, as a player. Uh, you learn a lot. And Savannah specifically, I <clears throat> managing there for uh, three, four years. I think I I, I spent there. It's, uh, I mean, the traveling. Uh, it, it was it was. Um, I learned a lot just from different travels. We were the team further south in the in the in the whole league. You had a lot of bus. <laughs> yes, and we we. I mean, we went up even to New Jersey in right. some bus rides in a fourteen fifteen hours uh, bus ride where. You can reflect a lot, and um, you see players just, you know, sitting there, just being quiet and reading, growing. And um, I think leagues like that, you know, going through that grind, just make you a better person, make you a better player, make you a better coach. And uh, Savannah, for, for me, that that <clears throat> that set the tone for 
uh, to keep growing as a coach and to keep growing as a manager just because of all those bus rides and everything that you go through to make it here, to make it to to the major leagues. And not, and I'm not saying that, okay, I'll, I don't never go back there again. I love, I love baseball, and I think uh, this is some of the things that you got to grow through, and it will help you uh, grow probably organically in yeah. the best kind of the ways, you know, when you go through a league like that. So Savannah was special for me. Similar weather to the Dominican Republic, a uh, little tropical. You have the beach, uh, a lot of friendly people, love baseball, love sports, uh, made, made a lot of friends there that still stay in touch. Uh, it was a, spe- a special place to go to for sure. Did you ever get used to the accent, Savannah? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't. But, but uh, uh, well, I, I didn't uh, as far as, like, understanding what I was being told, yeah. right? And, uh, but, yeah, it, it, was, it was the first year of my son, after my son being born, he spent his, probably the majority of his first year in Savannah. So it was nice. I mean, we met a lot of people. Everyone wanted to hold my son right back in 2013. Uh, so... You know, it was a special place, and, and I just, I, I'm glad that I spent there a few years uh, being the manager. I'm not going to worry out about St. Lucie, uh, but I do want to <laughs> ask you about Bingo, because Binghamton, and first of all, you got me, you're wearing uniforms that say Sand Nats and Rumble Ponies. Is there is there a point where you're saying, what am I doing? I mean, this is not real close to the major leagues here. No, uh, no, I, I enjoy all that. And, and, you know, from kids to adults yelling our names uh, hmm. in the minor leagues, how funny they can be, or how significant they can be yeah. to a town just because there's history sometimes in some of these names is uh, it's kind of cool uh you know and the fans get uh into it you know they enjoy minor league uh play and you you see them come in and there's everything from hecklers to passionate fans that right. follow the players that know that someday they will be a, you know with the respective big league team like you know for example us in the new york Mets. so uh all of those were all of those were fun even though sometimes they were making fun of the rumble ponies and uh, i think we were going to play the rubber docks one day and they were they were they were making fun of the rubber docks versus rumble ponies mashup that was going on in akron <laughs> ohio and uh you know that's pretty neat the, the fans get into it you know but at the end of the day i, I think they get the guy uh, the guys understand where they're coming from and they they just enjoy you know going through the minor leagues and experiencing some of these things all right speaking of the minor leagues i have to ask you about because i've heard you tell this story when you were seven and you were in the Florida State League with your dad. You've got the, the ability to hang out in the dugout. I heard he banished you from the dugout because you were the one doing the heckling. Can, can you explain that one to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, so that was, uh, and I, we always came in the summer with my dad when, yeah. when he was managing in the minor leagues or whenever, whether he was managing the big leagues when he became a big league manager for the Expo. So. Back then, uh, yeah, I happened to be seven or eight years old, and we were in West Palm Beach, and my brother happened to be playing. His name Jose Alou, not Moises. Jose Alou happened to be playing for the team, and man, I, I was a big Expo fan, especially a West Palm Beach Expo fan, and I wanted us to win every game, and I was really tough on our players. And um, I remember early in the it was probably the second inning, and we probably had like four strikeouts out of the six outs we made, and I just started yelling at our own players from the bench. And uh, my father sent me to his office for the remainder of the game. Yeah, that was, I will, I, I never forgot that. I, that. That's probably the last day I, I stopped yelling uh, something negative to any player uh, as a fan before I became a professional player. I want to ask you about your dad, and we're doing this interview in San Francisco where I saw your dad snap. Like, I've never seen him snap. I don't know if you remember this one, but he was jaw to jaw with Joe Brinkman. And Dave Rigetti had just had some sort of leg surgery. He's out there with like a, a toe to thigh 
brace on, trying to restrain your dad. Uh, your dad, I mean, everybody knows him correctly so as this very gentlemanly, very, uh, you know, just really down to earth, humble man. But man, when he would get cheesed off, he, he could go get him with, with the best of them, I thought. Yeah, uh, I, I can recall a few times when my dad <laughs> did get hot and uh, he's a strong presence. And, yeah. uh, you know, even Kios, you can see him for most of, for most of the time under control and uh, very thoughtful. Like, you know, he, he can get heated up. And I saw a lot of that, especially on the on the field, managing in winter ball where things can get heated up really quick. All right. uh, managing in the minor leagues, I did see a couple of uh, scenes that, uh, you know, that will also teach me how he, he will handle himself out there. But then the next day he will be back, you know, and they'll be talking to the umpires normally, professionally. So uh, some of those things stopped me as well. But, yeah, he could he could get up there, man, and, and he could put a show. Not like some guys would put a show, ripping a bag or throwing dirt on the home plate, anything like that. He, he never did anything or taught me or us or brothers uh, to do anything like that. But he will get face-to-face with an umpire. I did see that a bunch of yeah, times. Yeah, and, and you know, the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. I don't know if you know this. You actually lead the majors in managerial ejections this year. And knowing you the little bit that I do, that's like the most surprising stat ever because you're so even-keeled <laughs> and gentlemanly and, and all those things too. But you bring up a, a great talking point because I think there is something to passion in this game. And, and I remember a story about when Sandy Alderson was uh, in charge of the A's. They had a manager named Steve Boros. And he was such a gentleman, such a scholar. He never wanted to raise his voice. And Sandy had to take him aside and say, you know, the guys want to see you do that sometimes. So uh, it's a fine line, isn't it, trying to figure out how to do that? Well, I'm not too proud about the stat that you just gave me. But it, <laughs> it's, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't either either start the season or uh, wake up in the day thinking that, uh, you know, I'm going to get thrown out for, <laughs> right, right. for the team or anything like that. It just happens in a game or it has happened in a game. I, I'm not looking forward for that to happen. It's just escalates in a single moment i want to make my point and uh you know that's that's how it's happened this year but yeah it's not something that i'm probably too proud of um i want to stay in the game until we record the last out or uh, so yeah you know it it, uh, you are even keel i'm I'm even keel like uh, a lot of managers are in the at the big league level but um we all know that some things happen in the middle of these games that I mean, we just got to make our point. And uh, some umpires will uh, maybe give you a little bit more rope than others. <laughs> but uh, it's not the intention. The intention is not probably to get thrown out all the time. Before I let you go, I do want to ask you one question about your playing career. and Because everybody talks to you about your family and everybody talks to you about your managerial career, which is off to such a great start. But uh, when you played... I know it wasn't for a long time professionally, but Ian Desmond is on your team. There's some guys in that in, in 04 uh, in the deep minor leagues, I understand, as a Gulf Coast League. But what was that experience like? Because I know you, know, you, you don't necessarily grow up saying, I really want to be a manager someday. First, you say, I want to be a player, right? Yeah, no, exactly. And then Ian, yeah, I remember playing with Ian back back then, special special player. Uh, yeah, we knew, you knew you were, you were seeing a big leaguer at that young age, 18, I think, when he got drafted or 17 years old. But... Yeah, no, you're right. We, you you plan it all, all out. You think you're going to have a 20-year baseball career and then probably be a coach and, and, and evolve into the managerial uh, position. And, <laughs> yeah, it just nothing happens. I, I guess not everything happens like you plan it. Uh, and this game teaches us that. Uh, it's like life. So, uh, But I did see a lot of managing uh, growing up as a teenager uh, and while I was playing professionally too. So 
I learned a lot ahead of time, and you know, I got to make my decision early when I when I got offered to manage in, in the uh, the Dominican Summer League, and I mean, I, I just you know went ahead and skipped the twenty the twenty right, year right. Uh, playing career. I guess <laughs> I just I really wanted to be a a big league player like a lot of people in my family have, but it just wasn't the case. You know, I probably wasn't as talented as as, as some of them were, but uh, God, God blessed me with. The ability of being a, a good coach and and developing now into a major league manager, and I'm enjoying this every day. So it's uh, it's a dream come true for me. Last one for you. I I hope you don't get to do reading that it's not baseball related until about October 30th or 31st. But when there's an off season, give us a book recommendation because I I know you're into it and I know you love to learn. What what's a good one that's on your shelf that you like? Well, uh, I'm. I got a lot of books uh, that I that I read last year. I probably went through like thirteen books in wow. the off season, but I think my um, all time favorite is gonna be um, how to uh, Daniel Carnish. Oh, the Dale Carnegie How to Win yeah, with Friends probably, and Influence People. Yeah, that, yeah, that's probably my favorite book of all time, um, and uh, and also. I got a few more. I mean, if we go down the list, but that that would be number one for but me. But something that, that kind of spikes your mind, right? And it yeah. kind of takes you to how can I be better interpersonally yes, with, with yes, people? Yes, yes, yes. And I and I'm a firm believer that being being a better person will make you a better everything, and hmm. uh, you can impact more life. So, yeah, I go kind of like in that way of reading books. I follow that order, and then there's there's some ramifications there, but that that's probably number one for me. Always appreciate the manager's time. And, you know, his dad's time should come in terms of a call from the Hall of Fame at some point. I really believe that. You may know there were three Alou brothers, Felipe, Maddie, and Jose. And, yes, they all did play as a tandem in the Giants outfield one day back in the 60s, which was very cool. Were there other brothers, Bob, Boog, and Bebop? No, but it would have been awesome, naturally, to announce the game in which the starters in the outfield were Bobaloo, Boogaloo, and Bebopaloo. And there is your dad joke for today. Don't leave home without it. Felipe Alou would not qualify for Cooperstown based only on his time managing in the majors. He was only 12 games over 500 in 14 seasons. 62nd most wins in history. But he wasn't given the opportunity early in life that he'd probably get now. There was discrimination that he faced. The majors were not ready to empower him his first 17 years in the Expos organization. It wasn't until he was 57 till he got his first big league managing gig. And in today's world, with his baseball mind, his teaching skills, his background, his amazing personality, he would have gotten a chance in a heartbeat. But his 17-year playing career ended in 1974, just as he was turning 40. And that's the age that his son just turned. And he's been already managing the Mets a couple of years now. Felipe Alou passed over in his only year on the Hall of Fame ballot as a player and really didn't get any love after that from the veterans committees. But committee voters are supposed to consider the totality of a career. Joe Torrey was inducted as a manager, but his years as a player were also considered. That should help the candidacy of Felipe Alou. Mets fans will say, hey, wait a minute. If you're going to put Alou in there, what about Gil Hodges? And yes, I totally agree with you because, well, if you don't know, Gil died of a heart attack, tragically, Easter Sunday on a golf course right before the season was supposed to begin in 72. Mets fans loved him. Old Brooklyn Dodger fans loved him. Hall of Fame-wise, I think baseball writers blew it, and the veterans committees blew it too. Too many others of less deserving accomplishments are in. You look at his numbers as a player, 
and consider the era in which he played. And, and that he started kind of late. He had played one game for Brooklyn in 1943, enlisted in the Marines, missed two years fighting in the Pacific in World War II, came back, got to the majors in 47 to stay. He had to switch from catcher to first base. And you fast forward, look at all of his accomplishments as the manager of the Miracle Mets of 69. He was revered by his boys of summer teammates back with his uh, Dodgers, too. Uh, Pee Wee Reese once said of Gil Hodges, if you had a son, it would be a great thing to have him grow up to be just like Gil Hodges. Great defensive first baseman, 370 career home runs. Again, in that era, that's pretty huge. No person in baseball history hit more home runs and won the World Series as a manager. And you look at the 1950s, no National League first baseman had more home runs or runs batted in. And as a manager, he was an innovator. He, he got to the Mets, and he had those great young arms. He had Seaver and Kuzman and Ryan, Tug McGraw. They were all between the ages of 21 and 25. So he just snapped his fingers and invented the five-man rotation to keep the young arms healthy. And those guys we just mentioned, those four, wound up pitching a combined 85 seasons in Major League Baseball. I think the other thing that put Gil Hodges in good stead, he was always there for Jackie Robinson, they say. If there was a physical play at second base, hard slide into Jackie Robinson. It was always Gil Hodges that would rush over and be the peacemaker, pulling bodies off the pile or whatever. Leader of men. Joe Torrey's mom, the Brooklyn native, was once asked on the Today Show who her favorite player was, and everyone expected her to say either Joe or his brother Frank. Margaret Torrey said, without batting an eye, Gil Hodges. And I'll close with this. J.C. Martin traded to the Cubs after 69 and, and later declared this. He said, if Gil Hodges had managed the Cubs... The Cubs would have won. A manager does make a difference. And with Gil, you got the feeling just do whatever he says and don't panic. Leo DeRocher caused panic and confusion. Is that a guy who played for both? Anyway, uh, it is now time for the upcoming series against the Phillies, which is the last gasp for both teams pretty much. If one team sweeps the other, someone's got a pulse. And then the other team has their golf clubs out. So uh, four topics I'll give you regarding the Phillies who, like the Mets, are right around 500. They're just a bit over. The Mets are just a bit under. Big drought for the Phillies. They've got the second-longest playoff drought in baseball behind only the Mariners, who are on the outside looking in again right now. And remember, in that time, the Phillies did the the sort of tear-down, rebuild thing that ended up winning the Cubs and Astros a World Series. It has not gone as well for the Phillies. So what happens when a, a team tears down and doesn't get anything to show for it? They've got bullpen issues again. Last season, they had the lead in 49 of their 60 games. Only the Dodgers were better than that in baseball, but the bullpen gave up so many leads, so they went, went nowhere. This year, new phases, same story. And you got to ask, how does this keep happening in Philly every year, especially in September's? Their left side of the infield has underperformed. They thought Didi Gregorius and Alec Bohm, that would be a top-shelf left side of the infield. Bohm's now a triple-A. Uh, Gregorius has had a really poor year. In terms of OPS from the left side, only the Pirates, the Rangers, and A's have gotten less. And defensively, they are literally the worst in terms of the metrics. Finally, got to mention Bryce Harper. Good enough to win the NL MVP, just not good enough to carry an entire team because no one's ever on base ahead of him. 32 home runs, 25 of them hit with no one on base. Only Texas has a lower on-base percentage from the leadoff spot than the Phillies. That has killed them this year. This isn't basketball, where Michael Jordan alone can win you a title or get you in the playoffs, at least. Game time tonight is 7-10. Former Met and Cy Young candidate Zach Wheeler for the visitors. 2.86 ERA with a whip of right around 1. 
Taiwan Walker for the Mets. Remember, he was an all-star, but he's faded ever since. His ERA now 4.3. Harper's got 32 home runs. Alonzo's got 33. And my guess is someone ends the weekend with a total of 35. Maybe both those guys. Saturday's game is on Fox at 7.15 with fireworks after. Sunday, ESPN night game beginning at 7.08. So yeah, your game times are 7.10, 7.15, and 7.08. I'm going to say like around 7 o'clock for this whole thing. But Sunday, MLB Network tote bags and 2022 magnetic schedules to be given out. So there's that. This is Josh Lewin. I have no gifts for you at all. But thank you for listening as always. And oh, let's meet the band. I hear the music. We got to meet the band. On keyboards. Siyoshi Shinjo slapping the bass. How about Todd Zeal? The horn section, it's Steve Henderson. And on drums, ladies and gentlemen, Jack Leathersitch. All right, is that enough for a podcast today? I hope it holds you. Thanks again for stopping in. Or as Veronica Corningstone used to say, thanks for stopping by on Anchorman. Uh, this is Ron Burgundy. Don't put a question mark in there, I'll read it. See ya. See ya.